the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, January 5th, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 310 and 311. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. It'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to our big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We're going to be focusing in on two big topics today. The primary messaging heats up ahead of the Iowa caucus. We'll analyze from both sides of the aisle. And the regime rolls out Alejandro Mayorkas as the Republicans counter with Speaker Mike Johnson. We'll be looking at everything going on down on the U.S. southern border and more. We've got a great slate of guests coming in today. A couple changes, but don't worry. Everybody will eventually wind up being here. We'll sit down with Chief Counsel, Attorney. You saw her on PBD yesterday. Miss Alina Hobble will be here. We'll also be sitting down with Washington 3 congressional candidate, retired Green Beret Joe Kent. Alex Brusewitz, Mr. Maga will be joining us as well, and we'll be sitting down for the first time with Texas 26 House candidate Brandon Gill. Before we get into any of our interviews, let's jump right into these headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Roe Noah's here. Yo. A couple programming notes before we jump into the headlines here. We're going to be talking about the primary messaging and how it's heating up on both sides of the aisle ahead of the Iowa caucus and the Democrat national holiday of January 6th tomorrow. We originally were slated to have Roger Stone, Ben Carson, and Cash Patel all join us today for a mega Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. However, we have had a couple of... Uh, Minor adjustments in the schedule. Cash Patel is under the weather. Roger Stone had us in a double booking. And Dr. Carson has been dispatched to a campaign-related event. So we'll be circling back with everybody next week. It looks like we're going to have both Cash Patel and Roger Stone on our Tuesday edition of the show. And then Dr. Ben Carson has already confirmed that he'll be joining us next Friday as well. So sit back, relax. We've still got a great slate of guests. The bench is deep here on Steak for Breakfast. As it is in the Trump campaign, You'll get where I'm going by the end of the show. And remember, this is the first of two episodes that you'll be hearing today. So if you're listening to this one first, good job. If you're not hearing me right now, it'll sound a little bit weird after you listen to the second one first. But hey, we're changing things up and trying to change the way you consume your news. So let's jump right into it. So, Noah, we're getting close to the Iowa caucus here. Thank goodness. January 15th, Donald Trump gets to hang his first official W of the 2024 primary season. We've seen the... Only contender in this race, Donald Trump, surge everywhere, whether it's in the polls, favorability, head-to-head matchups, both in the primary and general election. All of the numbers and the signs are pointing to a big victory in Iowa and moving right down the road 10 days later to the New Hampshire primary. Here's the deal, though. The pretenders, man, the wheels have come off. They can't get out of each other's way. I mean, the, the amount of programming or lack of messaging that's coming out from everybody else in the fake Republican multiverse primary right now, and we'll hear a bunch of it in this segment, it is just mind-blowing to me to watch the way that these people have all imploded, I guess in this digital age, kind of in real time for all of us to see. I think it's been glorious. It's like watching the Three Stooges fight over something. Meatball, bird brain, and sloppy Chris yeah. Christie. Who's Vivek? Is he schlep? <laughs> 
<laughs> he does have the good hair. Yeah, he does. There you go. And uh, another programming note there. Listen, and I've said it a couple times here on the show, we have reached out to Trisha and Kathy Barnett over at the Vivek campaign. I've sent Vivek every single one of our show episodes since we started. We've invited him here on the show a little over six months ago. He's seen them all. He knows the guest caliber that comes on the show. He would much rather choose to, I guess, go on what they apparently would consider easier programming and have softballs lobbed at him. So did we have him like lightly confirmed at one point? I thought a couple times, yeah. but you know, here's the deal. We, we've got the emails, we've got the text message receipts. If they don't want anything to do with this show because we support Donald Trump and, and obviously have endorsed him to win this race. I thought he supported Donald Trump. Well, here's the thing. There's been people in the DeSantis campaign who have regularly come on our show, congressmen and women who have endorsed other candidates to, up to this point in the race who regularly come on our show. They respect journalistically the job we do here. I'm starting to lose a little bit of respect for other people within our apparatus, if you know what mm. I mean. We'll get to that in our second episode today. No, I think I might have cracked the code for the America First Griff, but I don't want to get... Up, too- up, down, down, left, right, left, right. We're almost there. Too far off the rails as we're jumping into this messaging right now. So as we speak here, it's in the 10 o'clock hour on Friday morning on the West Coast. Donald Trump is en route, recently left Florida, and is heading over to Iowa where he'll be doing at least four campaign, rally, commit to caucus events in the Hawkeye State over the course of the next two days. He'll obviously be doing some retail politics as well. I can't wait to see where he goes to you know, eat and, and partake with the people on the ground in Iowa. And you're going to see a lot of it. They have like a dozen events scheduled between now and the Iowa caucus on January 15th. So President Trump yesterday issued a message from Mar-a-Lago in the form of one of his video-style addresses talking about the importance of the Iowa caucuses and what the events are going to be looking like heading into this finite time we have before the first primary of the season kicks off. I have to say, before we play the audio, Noah, he must have put out two dozen posts yesterday about E. Jean Carroll, the person that accused him of pushing her up against the wall and groping her back mm. in the day. When you see some of the absolute banger tweets from this <laughs> mutant <laughs> that he went back and found from years ago saying that she like was a huge fan of The Apprentice, he put the he reposted her old tweet of where he was saying that she calls her husband an ape and her cat vagina. It was absolutely fantastic. We don't deserve Donald Trump, and we're all very lucky to have him. Let's jump into this first audio real quick. A little messaging from the 45th president of the United States heading into the Iowa caucus. Hello, Iowa patriots. This is President Donald J. Trump. We are only weeks away from making history and winning Iowa's first-in-the-nation caucus. This will be the most important election come November that our country has ever had. Our country is going down the tubes, to put it mildly, (laughs) and we're going to bring it back and we're going to make it great again. We want to win big in Iowa so we can focus all of our energy and resources on beating crooked Joe Biden and taking our country back from the radical left. To do that, I need my most dedicated supporters to fight alongside of me and serve as my Trump caucus captain. So important on Monday, January 15th at 7 p.m., Trump caucus captains are the most important volunteers for my campaign in Iowa, and you can actually say elsewhere, because as you know, by making it first in the nation, I've made Iowa very, very important, and that's (laughs) the way we're going to keep it. They serve as my voice at the precinct caucuses and 
Also, get other supporters pledged to turn out to vote on caucus night on Monday, January 15th. Caucus captains play a critical role in the America First movement. Through their efforts on the ground in Iowa, we will take the first step toward defeating the radical left and evicting crooked Joe Biden, the worst president in the history of our country and the most incompetent president in the history of our country from the White House. He's going to be out of the White House. We have no choice or we won't have a country left. If you're willing to step up and serve as a volunteer caucus captain for my campaign on January 15th, visit ia.donaldjtrump.com to sign up as a Trump caucus captain. Very important indeed. I need you to lead the charge on the ground in Iowa as we fight to defeat the establishment politicians that are doing everything they can to stop our movement, the greatest movement in the history of politics in our nation. Remember, in the end, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. And I just happen to be standing in their way. This is why we must win in Iowa, end the Republican primary quickly, and move on to beating Joe Biden so we can make America great again. Thank you very much, and God bless you all. Short but sweet. I like it. Concise and precise. What do you think? I don't know who came up with the, I mean, I, w- I would assume that it was him or maybe one of his writers. The They're not after me, they're after you and I'm just standing in their way. It's, it's a brilliant, brilliant messaging. It, it's got so many different levels to the meaning. Yeah. It's a little bit more complex than like, hey, it's Donald J. Trump, you know, me, your favorite president. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, it's, well, here's the thing, though. Part of it is the delivery as well. Yeah, that's true. And when we've seen the way the establishment, who used to be the ones that were coming after us, has now ramped up into, like, federal law enforcement, the Department of Justice, everything else and in between. It's absolutely wild to see how this messaging has... You know, I did a little history. We put out a new stake for Substack this week, okay? So if you if you go to the link tree that's on any of our social medias, it'll show you all the places where you could listen to the show. In addition, some of the other links we have, like our promo codes at BeardVet and at the uh, MyPillow and things like that. But... The stake for Substack, when you're not getting the newsletters with show updates, you're getting little editorials that we write here on the show and and throw out there to give you guys some information. Donald Trump right now is forecasted to sweep the first five primary caucuses in this election cycle. That'll take him undefeated into Super Tuesday where he's going to lock up the Republican nomination. Caucuses? Caucuses. Caucusi. The lakes of Titicanga? Mm. Bathe yourself. (laughs) This bores me. Game blouses, but I put out the stake for Substack the other day, and it kind of like you know a little lead into Iowa. Rah rah here, doing a great job there. Everyone's mobilized, you know, on the ground in Iowa this week. We saw Governor Christy Nome, who we all know and, and and understand with the way that she's been activated, is obviously probably a strong contender for the Vice President of the United States. Ben Carson, who was supposed to appear on the show today, has been dispatched to Iowa. He's also, in our opinion probably 1A in regards to vice presidential possible candidates right there. Son Eric Trump was on the ground. Matt Whitaker, who's from the Hawkeye State, was out there doing a whole bunch of campaign-related events all week. And it's just really busy. But, you know, when you start to look at uh, some of the other stuff we put in the stake for Substack this week, this little editorial that we put out, I believe it's six times someone's won the first two primaries ever. And out of that, only one person, a Democrat, 
has gone on to receive his party's nomination and won the White House, it's obviously, if you don't know it by now, the second worst president in the history of the universe, Jimmy Carter. But what a lot of people don't understand, fail to remember, or might not even know, this is an election cycle unlike we've only seen once ever before. Going back to, you know, the late 1800s, when Grover Cleveland was the president of the United States, he lost a tightly contested race in his re-election campaign, ran for a House seat and became Speaker of the House, ran for president again in the next cycle, and then won the incumbent who was his original challenger at the end of his first term to retake the White House. Grover Cleveland was also a Democrat. You have to understand, as Donald Trump continues to rewrite the political playbook and how these things play out, it's just been incredible to watch. When he talks about the greatest movement in the history of politics, maybe in the history of the Republic, he's not wrong. Mm -hmm. And and there's documented history, everything that's gone on in our country, especially with the presidents, to back that up. Unfortunately, now, we said we were going to be delivering that messaging ahead of the first primary from both sides of the aisle. We all know tomorrow is the biggest holiday on the radical progressive lefts and Democrats' calendars. No, it's January 6th. January 6th? Mm-hmm. Was that the insurrection? It is what it is. Mm. I said what I said. Can you believe this one, Noah? Tomorrow... Joe Biden will travel to Valley Forge and outside of the log cabin deliver a speech and radically disenfranchise almost 75 million voters with his rhetoric. Mm. Mm -hmm. Good for him. In a time where this country has no sovereignty. It's a bold move, Cotton. See how that plays out for you, Sleepy Joe. (laughs) You can't afford shit. Your kids are fucked beyond belief, both educationally and all the stuff they're getting socially. Everybody saw yesterday in Iowa there was another school shooting. Just so happened to be some trans kid who brought a shotgun and a pistol to school and wound up killing one of his sixth-grade classmates before killing himself. Absolutely disgusting. Media has kind of skirted that one away as soon as his social media was docked everywhere. And you saw, you know, this kid obviously had major mental issues. And Joe Biden's going to go out there and talk about how our movement is the greatest threat to democracy and whether or not the Republic survives after next year's election. It's wild. And I have some facts to back it up. Joe Biden put out his first official, official, official 2024 reelection campaign ad. You ready for this heater, Noah? Mm -hmm. No, you're not. Let's check it out. I've made the preservation of American democracy the central issue of my presidency. I believe in free and fair elections and the right to vote fairly and have your vote counted. There's something dangerous happening in America. Roll the footage of January 6th. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. All of us are being asked right now, what will we do to maintain our democracy? History's watching. The world is watching. Most important, our children and grandchildren will hold us responsible. The Vice President and I have supported voting rights since day one of this administration. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. America is still a place of possibilities where the power resides with we, the people. That's our soul. We are the United States of America. There is nothing beyond our capacity when we act together. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Oof. Yeah. 
No. No. None of that was true. At all. And and you want to know Especially fun? the first part. You're going to hear the direct opposite of that message tomorrow at Valley Forge. And I strongly suggest is we'll provide some coverage of it, the low lights apparently, wherever he can. I mean, even in that, that is a pre-prepared, high-end, Hollywood production-level ad. And, and you can he, still hear the fucking Slurring through the first, like, yeah. He slurred through the first, like, 20 seconds of it. I've always been a president of preserve the ability to boat. I actually thought that that was something something that, like, the Dilly Meme team made for a second. God bless them. Like, oh, he sounds retarded in this. Let's put this some music on it. We, we haven't even hit 11 a.m. out here on the West Coast on Friday, and I believe President Trump, Dan Scavino, and some members of the team have already shared three absolute heaters from the Dilly Meme team. So, listen, they have a job to do. It's part of the job that we're all involved here. There's only one goal, and that's getting Donald Trump over the finish line in November. So, the messaging back on the other side of the aisle now, some people are disavowing. Disavowing who? Not eating. Because he enjoys that. <laughs> Sloppy Chris Christie says now he has regerts for supporting and endorsing Donald Trump back in 2015. Mm. And if he had the chance to go back in time and do it again, he would not do that. So much so that he made a campaign commercial about it where he appeared very fat and sweaty and basically coped and seethed through a small recorded piece right now. That is playing in New Hampshire. Was he in the line at the cafeteria? Well, he's he's in a very dark room, but, I mean, it could be like the people at Golden Corral are turning the lights on and off, telling him that they're getting ready to close, so he's going to have to leave. <laughs> I had no idea it cost that much. I won't pay it. Let's hear sloppy Chris Christie. This is Val President Trump. Stab him in the back a little more. Eight years ago, when I decided Eat. to endorse Donald Trump for president, I did it because he was winning. And I did it because I thought I could make him a better candidate and a better president. Well, I was wrong. I made a mistake. And now we're confronted with the very same choice again. Donald Trump is ahead in the polls. And so everyone says anyone who's behind him should drop out and we should make our choice Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Well, Joe Biden has had the wrong policies and Donald Trump will sell the soul of this country. What? what? Neither what? choice is acceptable to me. Shit? And it shouldn't be it's acceptable from a fucking to you. fortune cookie? You see, in the end, the most important, important characteristic of any candidate for president of the United States is what's in here. Is he pointing at his stomach? The most important thing <laughs> is character. Oh. You know what's funny? He, no, I know. You're a big music they guy. They should put an 808 drop at the end of that. That would have been better. Right? But tell me that wasn't the music for like a nature documentary montage where it's like, like the sun comes up. fucking or something. The sun comes up, a bee pollinates a flower, then it blooms, kids running through the field, the O-ring comes off of the booster from the rocket ship, and then Chris Christie eating it. Golden Corral is where it ends. <laughs> 808 drop there. But it's just like, come on, man. I supported Donald Trump back in 2015 because he was winning. And I wanted a job. He said he <laughs> thought he could make him better, but the there there was he wanted a job. He's just like a fatter much fatter version of Ann Coulter. Yeah, I just I just don't understand it. Like the, the videos that these people make, it's just like in a world mm -hmm. of unlimited refills. <laughs> it's like I don't get it, man. What do you mean there's a four plate limit? So CNN did a couple town halls this week. Sir, you can't bring a trash can. That's not a bowl. <laughs> 
No, you can only have one piece of prime rib. <laughs> CNN did a couple town halls this week. They're having the debate next week. So this is the way it's shaped up, Noah. You, you know how these debates are all, you have to reach certain thresholds. Long story short, it's Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, the only ones that have qualified. <laughs> it's, it's pathetic. Yes, it is. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be doing counter-programming at, I believe, a very famous pub, and it's going to be an event hosted by Tim Pool. Oh, yeah, yeah I heard about that. He's doing his, uh, what is it, town hall, right? Yeah, is that what it's, is IRL it town hall. Yeah, yeah. And then Tim Pool's going to do a members-only episode after that. Donald Trump has agreed to go into the arena, and he'll be doing a town hall with early election caller Brett Baer and never Trumper, uglier, older Megyn Kelly, Martha McGallum on Fox News. And Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are so pissed off that Donald Trump won't go and nobody else qualified. Chris Christie will be doing his thing out in New Hampshire. He doesn't really care about Iowa. He knows he has zero chance there because the way the caucus system works, you basically go to a, you know, a, a caucus precinct holders place and you make the case for your candidate and people go from like one side of the room to the other. And at the end, you count them up and call them in. That's literally how the caucus works. It's pretty wild. Not by weight. If that were the case, he'd be in first place, but it's not. And the thing is, you know, you see all this stuff. A Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley debate. Boring. Hosted by CNN. What are they going to talk about? I don't know, but they did a little preview of, of these, this event that's coming on CNN next week. Are they just going to agree with each other about everything? Well, they did dueling town halls yesterday. So Ron DeSantis went first with Caitlin Collins, and then Nikki Haley went second with, with some other retard. The there there here is the messaging. Now, we've all seen people not like Donald Trump and saying like, oh, yeah, he's he says the wrong things or he just doesn't do it the right way. The, the truth of the matter is he won't bow his knee to the industrial complexes and the billionaire donor class. But, but you can't say it like that because all these other candidates are essentially backed by them. So now what they're saying is, and this goes back to the Tucker Carlson comment, the zero-sum people. Yeah. Now Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are saying, like, well, not only is Donald Trump in trouble, but for some of the stuff that he probably did, he deserves to be in trouble. Nikki Haley said it last night at one of these town halls. Let's hear it. As people face this decision, you said rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. Is it rightly or wrongly? Does, is both. he the one who causes that chaos, or is he just the unwitting victim? It's both. I mean, you see a lot of these cases they've brought against him are political in nature, and there's no basis on it. And then you see some that he's going to have to answer for. But look, I, I'm not telling you anything I used to tell him. I used to tell him he's his own worst enemy. Oof. It's just ugly. It's like the ugliest part of politics, the like dehumanization of like the actual situation. She'll go in in the same breath, say, we know the Justice Department is weaponized against him, and we understand what they're doing, trying to remove him from the ballots and put him in prison. But at the same time, it seems like his mouth is the reason that all his trouble follows him around. That's disgusting. For all the stuff that he's going, Noah, it has cost Donald Trump probably north of $100 million to legally represent himself in all these cases. In addition to the stress that's put on his family, he's got a 17-year-old kid. He's got a wife whose mother's very sick. And, and, you know, he's running a campaign for the highest office on the planet. Mm -hmm. And then you have these people out there taking pot shots at him because they don't like the way he talks. 
So it's his own fault that the Justice Department is going after him and trying to put him in jail for hundreds of years using 91 felony charges. Yeah, that's a little bit of a jump. I mean, had he, during his first term, maybe not gone off the handle a little bit? Sure. He might have pissed off less people, but at the same time, that's a reason why a lot of us like him. Yeah. You're, you're talking about a billionaire. But, but that doesn't mean that him go flying off the handle and talking shit no. is the reason why the fucking justice system is unhinged and just bearing down on him. That, that's that's a little ridiculous. This guy's a billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, movie star. You name it, he's done it. Author. Huge in the business of, uh, you know, the properties that he developed and, and, and stuff throughout. New York. It's just, it's wild. You know, Ron DeSantis had a couple really off-color remarks. First of all, he said, we shouldn't be worrying about Donald Trump and his legal problems during this primary cycle. What we should be worrying about is it being a referendum on Joe Biden. I, I think that's awful. In addition, she asked me about January 6th. She knew CNN was going to hit one of them with it. They gave Nikki Haley the uh, Civil War question, which she completely shit her pants on again. Mm. Oh, you would assume that people just know it's about slavery, so you don't have to you don't have to say it. I had black friends growing up. That's literally what she said. And then you have... Isn't that what they make fun of people for saying all the time? All the time. It, it's, but I have black it's the friends. Memes. Yeah. And then Ron DeSantis went on to say that January 6th was not a Patriot event and those people had no business doing what they did. He's talking. He was talking about everyone in its entirety on January 6th. So everybody that was there, even the ones that literally did nothing wrong. So if, the, if an election is rigged and stolen, you just accept communism, which is what we've gotten for the last three years, Yep. and, and just let it embrace you and wash over you. Garbage. Outside of this town hall, Ron sat down with... I don't know which news that was. I think it was MSNBC. And, and you know, between this lady that we're going to hear in a second and Laura Ingram, people have just been hammering him saying, like, is Donald Trump really wrong for not debating you guys? The objective in, a, in an election is to win by punching up, not punching down. At the same time, this lady tried to figure out what state out of any of the 50 Ron DeSantis could win. It's an actually pretty funny clip. Before we do, guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, hope you're enjoying it. Follow us across every downloadable podcasting platform, especially Apple and Spotify. Hit the plus button, hit the follow button, make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything that we're delivering directly to you. As a reminder, we're going to be sitting down with Trump attorney Alina Haba in just a bit. Here's Ron DeSantis getting ratioed by some just two-beat hack questioning him on what states she thinks he can win during this primary season. Let's check it out. Put all your eggs in the Iowa basket. That's can you, true. Can you name another that, state that's you think not you true. could win? That's not true. Can you name another state you could win? Yes, yes. You Wait till what, what happens when we get out of Iowa. It's going to create, a, create a lot win? of... We're going to be able to win a lot of states. Oh, we have a great organization in oh. New Hampshire. We have a great oh. organization in South Carolina. Can New we can have a lot of great oh. organizations throughout Super Tuesday. You're so you're going to see this Super is very Tuesday. dynamic. Uh, you're going to see it's a long process um, and we're going to be able uh, to win. So stay tuned. But to say that we've put all the eggs is not true. Uh, we have great uh, organization and field programs in oh. the early states, uh, and we're going to compete in all of them. Vagina. Poor Ron. <laughs> what other states can you win? There are there's a lot of other states we can win. Well, let's fact check them on that and, and take a look at some of these polls that have come out this week. Here's a general election one. 2024 Pennsylvania, Trump versus Biden. Right now, Donald Trump is winning in that poll. 
45.4% to 44.4% by one percentage point within the margin of error. But for the first time ever in RCP, Donald Trump is beating Joe Biden head to head. That's that's huge. There was also a New Hampshire poll that came out this week, which is going to be the next state and the first primary after the Iowa caucus. And that looks as such. And this goes with the Republican shift since just December 20th of last year. Donald Trump 37, Nikki Haley 33, Chris Christie 10, DeSantis 5. He's now in fourth place. Ramaswamy 4, Hutchinson 1. Donald Trump's increased his lead four percentage points since the last time this poll came out. I saw a four-state banger as well, and that's going to go through part of the primary season. And, and you know, it's weird, Noah. We talked about it. At some point, was Donald Trump going to plateau? And it just seems like every time these polls come out, he just continues to— It's a, it's a plateau from me. Yeah, even if it's a few percentage points, continues to go up. And as candidates continue to drop out—and here's the thing. A lot of people aren't talking about this either. There is going to be a wind taken out of the sails after Iowa, I believe. And once you get through New Hampshire, if Donald Trump's at 2-0, which we all expect him to be, it's over. North Carolina, Trump-Biden head-to-head, Donald Trump 46, Joe Biden 38. Florida, Trump-Biden head-to-head, Donald Trump 46, Joe Biden 37. Ohio, Trump-Biden head-to-head, Trump 47, Biden 36. And Virginia, Joe Biden still leads there, but only 46 to 43% over Donald Trump. We got a South Carolina poll came out. No, first time that one's come out in a while. Now, remember, this is Nikki Haley's state, which, which she was the governor, I believe, for two terms there. Ready for this close one? Mm. 2024 GOP primary, South Carolina, Trump 54, Haley 25, DeSantis 7. Come on, man. <laughs> it's like we already said what the there there is. Joe Biden essentially removed himself from the ballot in New Hampshire because he tried to turn South Carolina into the first Democrat primary state because that's where he won after going 0-2 Back in 2020, New Hampshire said, fuck you, we're still going first. And guess what? Now you're not on the ballot. Democrats can vote in the New Hampshire primary and switch their party affiliation to be able to vote Republican and then switch back to Democrat for the general election. So now all the never Trumpers there and absolutely blue haired meanies are all (laughs) going to go out and vote for Nikki Haley in the primary and make that race closer. But we all know it's not close. Last one I've got here. This is a national poll. Joe Biden, 44. Donald Trump, 44. And that's a YouGov poll that came out yesterday as well. So tied in within the margin of error. Got one more clip before we jump in with Alina Habba. Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota. She was on the campaign trail for Donald Trump in Iowa this week with many other people in the America First apparatus. She sat down with CBS News. And when it got to the question of the Republican primary... They kind of peppered her with questions about Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. She stopped them right there and told them exactly why she's not going to vote for either of them and why she's supporting Donald Trump. Let's hear it. How would you assess Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley's campaigns thus far, Governor? You know, I think they're fine. Uh, You know, I served in Congress with Ron DeSantis. I know him. He got elected governor when... I got elected governor, so, you know, he's certainly been a colleague. We made very different decisions, though. When times got tough and our constitutional rights and freedoms got challenged, he closed his businesses. He closed his beaches. He just made very different decisions than I did and took away people's Oof. freedoms. So, mm. you know, I haven't supported him. Uh, I haven't supported Nikki Haley. I just think I don't really know who the real Nikki Haley is. <laughs> uh, she's whoever she needs to be 
for whatever ways the political winds blow that day. So uh, we need a president that is strong, that is willing to take on challenges and has proven themselves to us. And the only person that has done that is President Trump. Will the real Nikki Haley please stand up? Chicky, chicky. <laughs> what do you think, Noah? You like her? Yeah. I like her. I think she'd be a strong candidate in the mm-hmm. deep stakes, as is Dr. Carson as well. Can't wait to talk to him next week. But that's neither here nor there. We're just starting getting into this messaging, heading into the Iowa caucus. We've got a ton more in our next new segment. We're going to be jumping in with Trump attorney Alina Hama right now. But before we do, let's check in with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She is general counsel and spokeswoman for Save America one of our great friends, very excited to be having back. Miss Alina Haba, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So happy to be back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. You hit the ground running coming out of the holiday. I uh, saw you had done a lot of media. Obviously, some of these legal cases that I'm sure you're providing general counsel for are heating up. And we're in the middle of a primary season now, just a few days away from the Iowa caucus. And it looks like Donald Trump can officially start hanging some actual w's as of a week from tuesday so why don't you just let our listenership into a a little bit of what your world looks like right now i kind of laid it out there pretty chaotically but you know every time i see you on the news actually saw you on pbd yesterday i'm sure a lot of our listenership heard it as well it seems like you're calm cool collective and uh rolling with the punches just like the 45th president is (laughs) i would say so day at a time you know day at a time i try and just sound out the fake news and put my head down and keep working you know, when you talk about the fake news, there's there's a lot of stuff coming out recently in in regards to, you know, President Trump's legal cases. We don't need to get into too many specifics, but as you see these, especially the special counsels rolling in here, um, th- there there are going to be some pretty heated battles. I mean, everything from gag orders, not gag orders, constitutional legality of, you know, whether Jack Smith was even able to be appointed, which we touched on with Jesse Bernal last week, and and you know, it's it's one of those things where. There seems to be a, a lot of noise, but at the end of the day, they really can't find anything to hang on Donald Trump. And I think that's the big there there. You know, we see it in a lot of these ballot related cases that are going on right now in regards to, you know, people accusing him of uh, being uh, leading seditious conspiracies against the government or, or leading an insurrection, things that never happened. But, you know, it's one of those things where the media continues to spin this and program those who are maybe casual followers of politics. How hard is it to stay in the lanes of facts when you're kind of navigating the water in all these different cities, all these different cases and, you know, the different levels that they are? Some of them are criminal, some of them are civil, and some of them are special counsel. Right. We have a great legal team, well-versed in all of it, right? So we, we obviously, I don't do everything. We have tranches. We have our criminal team. Um, they're divided, uh, by case 
but then we all worked together yesterday. I was with uh, a, a tremendous amount of our team, just, you know, putting our heads together. It's, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure because I think some of the challenges as an attorney that you see in a lifetime we're seeing now, nobody has seen some of this. And um, as much as it's crazy and chaotic, it's really forcing the country to answer tough questions and to really get in shape and in line. And I think when you see radicalism, as we've seen in Maine, Colorado, um, you know, we'll wait and see what the Supreme Court does. Like I said yesterday, I think it's a really straightforward case. I think the Supreme Court will give us a lot of clarity. And I think ultimately there is one arbiter and one top when it comes to the judiciary branch, and that's them. And they're going to um, help navigate this. So we'll see what happens. You know, I think you're right. Based off of the constitutional premise of it, you also have an interpretation or a ruling that the Supreme Court's going to have to make and basically determine how they interpreted, you know, what was going on with the Constitution at the end of the Civil War as well. And then, you know, you, you have just a lot of uh, all previous rulings in other states where Donald Trump has won and they said, no, we're not going to remove him from the ballot. But I think the, the question that not a lot of people are asking one that we've kind of honed in here on, Alina, on Steak for Breakfast is, do you think that this is bigger than Donald Trump and ballots? Because I feel like at the end of the day, the Supreme Court has to see this as just election interference and, and in a way to disenfranchise the candidate. But looking forward down the road, it seems like the Democrats, you know, Jamie Raskin, who's one of the ranking members in the Democrat House, did the entire Sunday morning cable news circuit. And a lot of his commentary, although he did mention President Trump at times, seemed pointed at the Supreme Court, especially Justices Thomas and Alito. You know, I think there's a bigger game plan here. People like Mark Elias and all the you know big time lawyers on the Democrat side who just bounce around from city to city filing these lawsuits are looking for a way yeah. to show the American public that, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't work when we all know that's not the truth. But they're trying to say, like, okay, we removed Donald Trump from the ballot in Maine because the Secretary of State thought that he was an insurrectionist. Now the Supreme Court overruled her, so obviously they're favoring him because they like him. I mean, that's that's exactly what I was asked about this last night on Hannity, actually. And that's the narrative that they'll make, is that they're just favoring Trump. Or, you know, Trump got this one in, therefore they favor it. And even my comments, they twisted and manipulated. This is just not the way the Supreme Court works. I can say that I have some faith, a lot of faith in the Supreme Court. I don't think this is that complicated of an issue, to be honest. And it doesn't matter who appointed you because it's really a constitutional black and white argument. But they'll make you think, oh, he's only going to win because this one was appointed. Oh, he's only going to, no, he's going to win on this issue because it's the right decision. It's very clean cut. I'm really positive that, you know, I do believe that it will be a simple nine and nine and O decision. He should not be removed from a ballot by some antiquated 14th amendment, um, you know, issue that wasn't meant for this reason. You know, it wasn't meant for these times. Uh, it was so that we had anti-American people not allowed to come in and usurp the government or take positions, insurrectionists in the true meaning of the word, not people that get up and say, go peacefully and patriotically or question election integrity as the executive branch. That's not what this is for. He hasn't even been charged with insurrection, Correct. let alone found guilty of it. So I think that, you know, that's the truth is they're always going to when they're nervous, they're about to lose. They'll say, oh, it's because they're appointed by X. Oh, it's because 
whoever put them there. Trump appointed that. That's ridiculous. That's not the way this works. And if you're ethical, that's not the way it works. They always do what's right. And this one, the law and the, and the Constitution is on our side. And I know it's not convenient for them with the election and his poll numbers, but it is the way it is, you know? What are you expecting this weekend when, when Joe Biden takes the, you know, regime up to Valley Forge and talks about how the rise of MAGA spells the end of our republic? Yeah, I'm not sure how he hasn't noticed that his rise has been the end of our republic. It's been so detrimental to our children, our culture, our faith in the country. Um, Make America Great Again is just that. It's people that are patriots and love this country. So I'm sick of people using it like it's a defamatory word, you know. No, it's the truth, you know, and, and when you look at some of the other stuff that they've rolled out over the course of the last couple of months, you know, Barack Obama has been very active for Joe Biden. Uh, Hillary Clinton was appointed as a national representative for the reelection campaign. Everybody knows that this is an empty suit who's being, you know, puppeted by strings that are held by a lot right. of the, the remaining facets from the Obama regime. And this is what we're getting. You know, when you talk about attacks on the Supreme Court, I mean, you mentioned so many other things there just now when I talk, I, I want to mention the U.S. Southern border. You know, you, you see what Joe Biden has done to just erase our sovereignty uh, as he erased a lot of the Trump era policies when he took office via executive order. You see the House Republicans really struggling with this. Obviously, about seven months ago, they did pass comprehensive legislation, but we all know with the way that the power structure in a vote-based system is set up, you have Chuck Schumer and the Democrats leading the Senate. Joe Biden obviously has the White House. Let's just say you clear all those hurdles. You have Alejandro Mayorkas, who wouldn't adhere to any of those stipulations in H.R. 2. Now they come to kind of a head right now where the CR is going to run out shortly, and they have a decision. If Joe Biden's not going to do anything to maintain the sovereignty, safety, and security of the United States, they have to shut the government down. I think it's a it's a take that not a lot of people want to hear because it seems like we're rehashing old wounds. But at the end of the day, right. if, if the White House and Joe Biden is not willing to work with the Republicans who have the majority in the House, then what else can you possibly do? And no, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm not a politician. Thank God. I would say thank God. But um, I, I agree with you. I mean, I like to say that, you know, 90% of what I speak of is exactly that, that everybody has to really work together for the betterment of everyone in this country, not Democrats, not Republicans, the entire country. And the government is a key player, is not, if not the player. They're leading the charge. And we have such a disjointed government right now. Um, and there's so much anger and unproductivity, frankly, that that could possibly happen, you know, definitely could. I mean, we see it within our own party, right? The Republican Party has that fracture. Oh, sure. I mean, we saw it ever since the uh, speakership battle and even before that, the midterm elections as well. All right, well, let's get out of politics. Let's talk about something a little maybe closer to like TMZ related material. You know, you know, one of the oh, big... boy. <laughs> don't worry. I won't ask you on, on, on whether or not uh, you need to be smart or pretty. You can definitely be both and be an amazing <laughs> attorney. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> One of the big stories that's kind of uh, a lot of clickbait out there this week was the release of the associate list of, of Jeffrey Epstein. I think uh, yeah. a lot of the people who go out there and produce fake news, everything from photoshopped images on the Internet to just spewing out lies in, in the radical progressive wing of the media can put a lot of the narrative that Donald Trump had anything to do with anything regarding any of that stuff going on to bed. You know, uh, it's well documented that Donald Trump in, in his time removed Jeffrey Epstein from his 
club where he was a member before he started to get in trouble. He also worked hand-in-hand with authorities to make sure he was held accountable, and it was the Donald Trump Justice Department who arrested Jeffrey Epstein and whatever happened to him after that. Obviously, we all know what what goes down when you cross Hillary Clinton the wrong way. But, you know, as we head into this very important election cycle right now, isn't it kind of a relief that some of this stuff is coming out here so we could just kind of clear the waters as like, okay, that's legitimately fake news. Now there's like documented evidence that there's nothing, no there there, and we can move on and start talking about the issues probably related more to Agenda 47, which is going to get this country back on the right track. Yeah, I wish, but the problem is we are probably going to go into the most rocky period before that. I think that this is the October surprise season. This is Russia hoax season. You know, this is attack his lawyer spokeswoman season. It's all of that. And we've seen them come down harder uh, in the new year already. And it's just a week in. Um, But that's what we're going to up against before we can get into the 47 agenda. Um, and unfortunately, that's the fight in the way American politics works, right? You got to put your gun, you know, not put your guns up, but put your fists up and, and get grand bear it until we get through the election. And then we'll be able to actually focus. I wish we were just focused on the issues. I wish we were just talking about security and keeping our uh, boundaries, uh, our country safe, frankly. But unfortunately, there's a lot of noise there always is in these election seasons. So I would like to get to it. I'm not sure that we'll get to it right away. I think that a lot of these legal cases are a distraction. Sure. And, you know, that's part of the plan. So we'll see. We'll see. Day at a time, like I always say. That's it. That's all the people who continue to say that Donald Trump is essentially like a Russian asset. Like those people will continue to parrot. Well, you know, he was he was in court for this stuff. They're not going to say whether he was found guilty. They're not going to say whether he won the case, but they are going to say that he was in court. And, and, you know, it's just it just kind of goes to that's how Donald Trump's been treated. It's very unfortunate. I think. Well, I know in my heart that history will look on him in a much different light, especially after his second term. But uh Last thing I want to ask you, and this is something that we could ask a lot of people who come on the show, obviously, you know, there's a lot of people in and around Trump world who do the media, but there's all of them that pretty much come through steak for breakfast here, you know, whether it's candidates that he's endorsed, former administration officials, cabinet members, etc. You have the opportunity to work with Donald Trump just as closely as anyone could right now. You're heading into the most crucial election cycle that this country has ever faced. And you get to see this man operate every day. We hear the stories that he is just, you can't unplug him. He's up in the morning. He'll he'll do what he needs to do. He like one of the funniest things on the show is when we start getting the notifications on our phone that he's doing like one of those video thons on true social where every like three minutes you're getting a new video and it could be anything, (laughs) you know, talking about ways that they want to reshape healthcare all the way down to where's Hunter. But as you've been able to work alongside President Trump and, and see this man uh, get ready for what he calls the final battle, give us a little bit of a perspective on what like a, just a day-to-day glimpse of that life is like. Yeah, it's nonstop. He nonstop educates himself, reads. He has a team with him wherever he goes. Um, obviously, he loves to golf and still somehow manages to get that in, but He's been traveling a lot, trying to campaign. I know he's on his way to Iowa today. Um, And while he's on the way to Iowa, he's on the phone with the lawyers, dealing with all the other noise that they're trying to hold him up on so that he can't campaign. Um, And that takes a tremendous amount of energy and and perseverance and positive energy, I have to say. 
And um, he's good like that. He, he's a nonstop worker. He's incredibly bright. He can switch from one thing to the other without a glitch. I mean, it's amazing. So he doesn't stop. The man works all the time. Sometimes he doesn't get back from a campaign event till one in the morning, then wakes up and does it again. Um, and, and will be in another state or another two states. And then, you know, it's crazy. Exactly. So I don't know. He, he's, he's just resilient and strong and his days are hectic, but we're all right there with him. No, four big events this weekend. He's got a bunch of friends on the ground, close associates. I mean, everyone from Christy Noman, Eric Trump, Matt Whitaker, and everybody in between is working to yeah. get those people to commit to caucus a week from Tuesday. Alina, this has been awesome catching up with you and, and, and sitting down today to have a conversation. You're always welcome to come and discuss anything you've got going on here on Steak for Breakfast. We're obviously going to live link the law firm, Save America, in the show description today. But for anybody that wants to check you out, follow you on social media. Where can they find you? Alina Haba, just my name. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Street Social. Absolutely fantastic. As was this segment, this is the general counsel and spokeswoman for Save America, Miss Alina Haba. Thanks for jumping on the show today. Have a fantastic weekend. Thank you. You too. We have populism that has pervaded our party, that has taken over um, a big chunk, not all, but a big chunk of our party. It's what you think of as the Republican Party now. It's populism untethered to principle, wrapped around the cult of personality of Donald Trump. Mm. This is not a populism that is, that is anchored in some kind of core philosophy other than, you know, his personality. Hmm. And so that's, that's a bad place to be right now. It's not a successful governing mandate. If it's what we run on this time around, I think we're going to lose again. Uh, so to me, the, the sooner we can get past this, the better we're going to be. And I'm all for populism. I want to make, you know, my ideas popular, but I want them to be tied to a principle. I want them to solve problems sure. and not to be wrapped around some guy's personality, which is screwed up as, as his is. It's not a good personality to wrap yourselves around. Jumping back into the news portion of the show here. Noah, what did you think of Alina Haba? She <laughs> was uh, fiery, mostly peaceful. Always fiery, but mostly peaceful. You know, I shared one of her video clips from PBD yesterday where she did a really long podcast on, and <laughs> somebody commented, bro, I'm trying not to simp. <laughs> so I just commented back, Haba Haba. I know, it's boomer dad joke but whatever no it was great sitting down with her and catching up it's been a while and uh she's very busy it was good to kind of hear her perspective on things and get kind of a very personal look into the man that donald trump is as as the people who only work with him every day can describe that's one of the things i think that we often bring on steak for breakfast that you're not going to get almost anywhere else sometimes it's just like a question that catches our guests off guards too like How's Donald Trump doing? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, he likes to go. No, no, no. How's he doing, doing? And then when they start to get into that and talk about the man that he is, the family aspect that he's run this campaign with, and the people that he's surrounded himself with as well, it definitely uh, is the case in point of why he's seeing a lot of success right now heading into the Iowa caucus. Sticking into this messaging right here, that was loser Paul Ryan out there promoting some Lincoln project and accountability GOP talking points that, you know, populism. This is like the same bullshit that Mark Levin and, and Newt Gingrich, when they get really frustrated, they kind of just always resort back to uh, populism is boring. America first is for babies. They love the Trump policies. They just don't like the, the way that it's branded. This guy's not helping at all. He, he's doing nothing but hurt, and, and he's going to look for every way between now and, and, and when Donald Trump receives the nomination to sabotage this guy's campaign. He's actively doing it. He's 
going to all these events and actively participating and saying these things, which are counterproductive to the clear leader of the party and, and the eventual nominee. So, but he wasn't the only one guilty of it this week. Believe it or not, well, you should believe it because she does what everybody tells her to do. Birdbrain Nikki Haley went on Fox News with soon-to-be Trump Town Hall moderator, older, uglier Megyn Kelly, Martha McGallum, and, and, and essentially parroted, pun intended, the same talking points. Let's hear. You don't defeat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And it's time that we get things on track. But people feel so harshly about him or so much the other way that that's why you see in general election head-to-heads, Trump and Biden are within the margin mm-hmm. of error. I think the Wall Street Journal said he was up four points. Yeah. I defeat Biden by 17 points no, in that same not. poll. That would be a mandate. That's a mandate, not just for the presidency, for the House, for the Senate, for governor's races, but it's a mandate to get our economy back on track and pay down this debt. It's a mandate to get our kids reading again and make sure we get back to the basics in school. It's a mandate to close our border and make sure there's no excuses. It's a mandate for law and order in this country, and it's a mandate for a strong America that we can be proud of. Americans want it. We can feel it on the ground. The energy is there. They don't want the chaos. My approach is different. No drama, no vendettas, no whining. It's all about results, and I think that's what the American people want. It's all about higher taxes, forever wars, Mm. Mm. and and ties to the establishment. Thank you, Birdbrain. Just got a little breaking news across the wire, Noah. You're going to be excited about this one. One of our favorite press secretaries from the first Trump administration, current governor of the great state of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders had just announced that she'll be joining president Trump on the ground next week in Iowa leading up to the caucus. So add another big gun to the arsenal of weaponry that he's bringing out to the Hawkeye state ahead of the Iowa caucus. Christine Ohm touched on why she has no interest in even entertaining supporting Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley in our first new segment today. She did do an extended interview on CBS News and touched on some of the reasons why she hit on Nikki Haley pretty hard. We all know about her international ties, the military-industrial complex going on, the way the CCP kind of infiltrated South Carolina when she was the governor there. Governor Noam alluded to that. I think it's a good clip. Let's check it out. I don't know what she will say or do next. You know, she was opposed to raising gas taxes when she was governor and then facilitated a huge tax increase on gas taxes. She said that she would never run for president against Donald J. Trump, and then she ran against him as president. She, you know, said that China was our friend and we should be doing business with them and inviting more of them to the United States. And then now she says they're her enemy. So I just don't necessarily know um, what she truly believes and who she really is. She doesn't believe in border security. I can tell you that much. We'll touch on that in our next episode of the podcast. We have to call this stuff out. I've seen a lot of the people in the DeSantis campaign out there talking about how Donald Trump increased the national debt, which I don't know if you heard, No, over the last 24 hours, we've eclipsed the $34 trillion mark. Oh, good. That's that, uh, that's good for, you know, every country forever in perpetuity. We also saw that we've lost over, oh. the, over the last quarter 2 million full-time jobs while only increasing part-time jobs. I thought you were going to say we lost more illegals. <laughs> We've lost all of the illegals. We've only added a little over 200,000 jobs to the economy this quarter as well. The numbers are higher, but when you look at the totality of it, when you look at the amount of full-time jobs that have left the workplace and the amount of part-time jobs they were able to add in lieu of that, it only shows 
that the inflationary rate in the United States, number one, is set to go up. Number two, the consumer is extremely cautious. And number three, that's because they have no money. That's the sad part about it right now. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whatever platform it's on, hopefully Apple or Spotify, make sure you're subscribed or following the Steak of Breakfast podcast. Helps us out big time. Massages the algorithms, brings us up in suggestions for political podcasts, and helps us out in the Apple Top 100. In addition, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram is where you can find our social media accounts. Follow them. Hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything that we're cranking out here on the show. Christy Nome wasn't the only person smashing Nikki Haley. Vivek Ramaswamy brought his incredible head of hair down to the Tucker Carlson network and did a little interview with Tucky there talking about how maybe heading into the holiday season, a lot of people thought that Joe Biden wasn't going to make it. We've seen a couple of things that have led us to believe that he probably will granted unless they will out like the heart attack gun or major convictions in his impeachment trial or stuff to do with Hunter Biden that ties him directly to his father while he was holding office, maybe even the vice president. But in this case, Obama's mobilized. It seems like Democrats in the House and in the Senate are getting behind Joe Biden. Hillary Clinton's been activated as well. Kamala Harris looks like she's all in because this is her meal ticket for the rest of her life. Where we thought we were going to get a replacement for Joe Biden, the Democrats just said, you know what? We could just use Nikki Haley to sabotage Donald Trump. Let's hear this angle when Vivek sat down with Tucker yesterday. If you're a Democratic mega donor, this is a very tough moment for you. Your candidate is going to lose. All the polls show that. Joe Biden will not be elected president if current trends continue. So you need to make a change. But there's a problem. And that problem is Joe Biden's running mate. She's half Jamaican. <laughs> Therefore, she's holy. You can't criticize her, much less demote her. That's not allowed. You are stuck with Kamala Harris. And she is even more unpopular than Joe Biden. So what do you do? Well, if you're smart, maybe you subvert the other party. Maybe you back a Republican candidate who's actually a Democrat, whose priorities are identical to yours. And of course, they found one. Her name is Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is a liberal. She is all in on the four tenets of neoliberalism, which are white guilt of finance-based economy, mass immigration, and endless neocon war. Vivek, thanks so much for coming on. What have you noticed about the kind of subtext to this race? What's actually going on here, do you think? Yeah, well, look, I've been convinced for a long time, Tucker, that this was not going to be a standard Trump versus Biden race. Right. There's just been enough staring you in the face that made that obvious, right? You start with the trials and the civil trials and the prosecutions, and then they go to the non-prosecution and illegal removals from a ballot without trial on the Trump side. The thing that fascinated me about the Biden side of this, though, is you also see some of the same dynamics. The documents case for Biden trotting itself out after years long ago in the Senate. You see a lot of other things with Biden. Why is the Hunter stuff coming out now when this has been known for seven years? And so Longer. where I thought this was going was Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama or whichever other puppet they're trotting out to replace Biden. <laughs> but one of the things that's become clear to me, so that's where I thought this was going. It was not what was meeting the eye, for sure. I think what's become clear to me now, I'm in the thick of this GOP primary, is that the real puppet they're trotting out isn't Gavin Newsom. It isn't Michelle Obama. I was wrong about that, actually. I think the true puppet masters, the thing about them is they're fundamentally nonpartisan in nature. There's a few things they care about, 
Keeping the foreign war machine humming is high on the list. Keeping the administrative state's control of the United States is also high on the list. They found a much more convenient puppet within the Republican Party itself. It's not Gavin. It's not Michelle. It's Nikki, actually. And I think that if you just follow exactly who are the very people who are paying to keep Donald Trump off the ballot, who are funding the lawsuits that keep Trump off the ballot, the Reed Hoffmans of the world funding lawsuits against Trump, the Larry Finks of the world, king of the woke industrial complex, CEO of BlackRock. It's just obvious and hiding in plain sight. Who are these people propping up? It's not Biden and it's not even Gavin Newsom. It's Nikki Haley within the Republican. I think he makes a good point there. I, I think, uh, you know, when you want to know what people's real intentions are, what do you do? You look where the money comes from and then follow the money trail back. The billionaire donor class really doesn't care if a Republican or a Democrat is in the White House. They just care if they're going to be able to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, more, I guess, more elegantly push their propaganda. Mm. You could still be green and be a Republican. Um, you know, you could work towards comprehensive immigration reform. You could you could package that as something that a Republican would present when all you're really going to do is give people amnesty. It, it's just how you frame it. And, and I think that that's a really important angle to be looking at there because I'll tell you what, you know, Nikki Haley's surge in N New Hampshire, which is the only place she's registering is competitive with Donald Trump right now. And I still don't know if I believe these numbers. It's because Democrats are going to be voting for her. Donald Trump has not been able to escape the long arm of the lawfare that's been used against him throughout the course of this primary campaign, the preseason of the primary cycle now. And, you know, we've seen a lot of meltdown behavior from deranged Jack Smith. Most recently, talking about, and this goes right into, like, the assassination stuff and what life is like after Donald Trump gets assassinated, the way all these fucking weirdos keep, like, talking about and trying to normalize and formalize this with everybody. Jack Smith's talking about Donald Trump essentially leading, like, the empire and during his first state of the union address <laughs> reading off of a list of people that we need to get and things. This is like literally what Jack Smith is trying to petition within some of these special counsels. I really think that these are becoming more of a joke than actually anything legally that's going to get Donald Trump. Let's hear what he had to say. We'll just read again from the filing because this could be right out of a political thriller quote, the nation would have no recourse to deter a president from inciting his supporters during a State of the Union address to kill opposing lawmakers to ensure that he remains in office unlawfully. So apparently Donald Trump is now the main provocateur in a Tom Clancy novel. Perfect. <laughs> Gotta, can you believe that this guy is filing this type of propaganda and thinking that, like, once it eventually gets to the Supreme Court, as part of his case, they're going to read this and be like, oh, yeah, this is completely normal and definitely legal. Yeah, this uh, this all seems above board to me. Let's go ahead and just slam dunk this one right all the way through. It's just a joke. And, and, you know, this is a story resurfaces. Listen to this one, though. This is a banger back from 2016. Prosecutor on Jack Smith's team discouraged the DOJ and FBI from investigating the Clinton Foundation back in 2016. Weird. Yeah, the DOJ Public Integrity Section Chief uh, Husler said evidence was I'm going to drop a little Latin on you right now. <laughs> yeah. De minimis. Ooh. Despite SARS being filed related to the Clinton Foundation and some of their dealings down in Haiti. 
Yeah, really good stuff right there. We're, we're, they had some weird shit going on in Haiti. They certainly did. I, I think you go a little bit further than saying weird too. Yeah, wild, criminal, wild, evil, mm, to say the least. More breaking news. We're not touching on it too much because Donald Trump has pretty much been vindicated, and all of the people who are making up shit about it online. And honestly. The association list, the associate list that's coming out from from all the Jeffrey Epstein stuff besides the uh, Stephen Hawking memes. I'm so bummed the Stephen Hawking thing turned out to be fake. That would have been amazing. It's just a bunch of bullshit. Like an associate list legally holds zero people accountable. And until we get that black book released from the depths of the DOJ, we're never going to know what the there there was here. And it's sad to say, but at least it's good to see that there was no Donald Trump. And actually, in some of the documents released saying that, you know, these people had no recollection of Donald Trump even being involved in any of his stuff. Alina Habit touched on it a little bit. She touched on it a little bit more in depth on PBD yesterday. So if you missed that episode, make sure you go and check it out. Last clip I got before we jump in with Washington 3 candidate, great friend of the show, Joe Kent, who's coming back today. I've got one more from Governor Christy Nome. She's talking about where this primary preseason is at right now and what we can expect in just a few short weeks. Let's check it out. I think we're just a few short weeks away from having our Republican nominee. It will be Donald J. Trump, and he will be the next president of the United States. I'm excited about that, Major, because every single day as governor, when Donald J. Trump was in the White House and he was president of the United States, I got to be on offense. I got to fight for my people, bring forward solutions to the problems that they are facing. Since Joe Biden's been in the White House, all I do is try to defend my people, protect their freedoms, try to keep the federal government out of their pockets and off their backs. Uh, so we need a change. And boy, these people in Iowa, they are feeling the pain of Joe Biden and his policies. It was a really good interview that she put out the other day. And it's good to see the South Dakota governor out in Iowa working hard for the 45th president. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with Joe Kent right now. But before we do, let's check in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.com. Coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a retired Green Beret and combat veteran. He's also the Washington GOP endorsed candidate running for the U.S. House seat in Washington 3. Mr. Joe Kent, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. Well, it's been a, a while since you've been on, and we've seen some of the things geopolitically kind of heat up all over the world. I do want to talk to you about this, Joe. I know you're an expert in in, in some of these things and, and see the way they're shaping up. I mean, obviously, the, the Biden foreign policy has been one in its totality that is a failure. Uh, it, in turn, it's allowed a lot of things kind of to spin out of control. One of the biggest things we're seeing now is this proxy war we're fighting with Iran. You know, whether it's Hamas and, and Hezbollah over in the Israeli region or you have everything that's going on inside of Iraq right now, and then the Houthis who are, you know, if they're not stopping the global supply chain and slowing that down, they're taking pot shots at, you know, some of the 
U.S. aircraft carriers and, and, and other parts of our military that are in the region. Now, it seems like Joe Biden's response to this is to drone something every once in a while and, and kind of just play defense. But I think at the end of the day, especially with the amount of money that's been allowed to flow into Iran since Joe Biden, you know, unrestricted them from a lot of things, unfroze some assets and uh, allowed them to come back to the world market. It just kind of em- empowers them. What do you think? I mean, when you look at how complex and dangerous the situation is in the Middle East, it's easy to forget the original sin. And the original sin is giving Iran access to capital. And Joe Biden did that in a very big way. He gave them access to a bunch of the money that was frozen. His his national security team desperately wants to get back into the Iran deal. Uh, And every single time Iran gets more access to money, they fund their proxies. They're not making life better for their citizens or anything like that. They're giving money to the Houthis so they can develop advanced ballistic missile capabilities. They can work on their drone fleet. And really, they can just punch way above their their weight class right there in the Red Sea, that key uh, shipping lane. And then same thing with Iraq and Syria. We continue to send billions of dollars every single year to the government of Iraq, which is controlled lock, stock and barrel by the Iranian government. Biden and a lot of Democrats, and unfortunately, some Republicans voted to leave our troops in Iraq and in Syria. So now... They've suffered, I think, around 120 attacks uh, in Iraq and Syria since the October 7th attack in Israel. We've already had multiple American service members that have been wounded over there, one who was put into critical condition. So we pray for his safety. But really, we've let ourselves, uh, we've, we've given the Iranians options. We've given them targets. We have the ability to withdraw from those those locations and still be able to strike the Iranians because of our military technology. But we basically level the playing field when we leave our troops on the battlefield in Iraq and in Syria. So step one is cut off the capital going to Iran, withdraw our troops so their their proxies can't strike against them. Because look, right now we're basically one lucky Houthi missile strike or drone strike or an attack on one of our bases. We're one of those attacks away from Biden having to respond in a meaningful way. If they get lucky and they hit a U.S. ship and we, you know, God forbid, have a casualty there or in Iraq or Syria, Biden's going to have to respond. And that's going to put us into a Middle Eastern war, which honestly, I think Biden would mind at this point because wartime presidents always end up getting reelected. So I think from a a purely political standpoint, it's it's very dangerous. But I do think the Biden administration says, hey, worst case scenario, we get involved into a war and we get to say we're wartime presidents. So really, this just speaks to, I think, how pragmatic Donald Trump's foreign policy was. He was able to isolate the issue of Israel and Palestine and unite the region around countering Iran. But he countered them economically. He made us a net exporter of energy. This took away a lot of the leverage that the Iranians had, took away a lot of the leverage that the, the OPEC countries had. It was good for the U.S. economy, but it, start, it took down some of the value uh, of those key shipping lanes in the Middle East. So Trump was able to go over there and from a position of strength, have a lasting peace. Biden, through his absolute just weakness and incompetence and in giving our enemies money and then putting more troops into the region, making us more vulnerable, has us in a very unprecedented, uh, unprecedented level of, uh, of danger and potential of slipping into a war. No, and that's the thing. Not only has all of that strengthened Iran, but it's also strengthened their ties throughout the world with some of our geopolitical adversaries, uh, namely China and Russia as well. You know, you've seen it's almost confirmed now due to the fact that Joe Biden won't negotiate any kind of a peace deal between Ukraine and Russia, that Russia has kind of, you know, already started to establish what are going to be the new ties of its Western front at the same time. You know, you have Ukraine, who's completely decimated. Hundreds of thousands of people have died and almost the entirety of their ground forces in the military. And it's gotten to the point now where 
the money and weapon we were sending over to Ukraine is essentially long-range weapons that were they're just lobbing over into Russian positions. It's there's no more war there. There's just when is somebody going to be able to get this to stop? Do you see any kind of legitimate end to this? It, this is one of the first times I've ever seen a conflict like this, Joe, where you don't have not the United States at the forefront, but none of the other world leaders seem to be on board with this as well as like wanting this to end and giving the optics that, you know, Putin won, regardless of how anybody wants to paint the historical the borders there with between Russia and Ukraine and all the wars that they've been fighting for hundreds of years over it. But it just seems like the interest level in, in that conflict coming to an end, especially now where the attacks have ramped up in places that to the most point were, were kind of left out uh, for the two years. Now this conflict's almost been going on places like Odessa. And, and then again, over the last week or so in Kiev, wh wh where do you think this goes? Or is this something that they're going to just try to drag out to where hopefully Donald Trump can get back into office next year. And then he could bring a little bit of uh, sanity to this situation. Now, the situation in Ukraine is incredibly tragic. I mean, when the war first kicked off, we had a, a small window, a small opportunity where the U.S. could have shown some real leadership and gotten both sides to the table. But instead, we basically led the led the Ukrainians down the primrose path. We told the Ukrainians that we would support them until they kicked every single Russian you know, out of their country. They just needed to commit thousands and thousands of more people into the meat grinder. And the Ukrainians, tragically, they, they believed this uh, and they sent a, an entire generation off to be slaughtered. It's hard to get accurate numbers out of there. Some people say 400,000, some people say 200,000. I, I don't think we'll ever fully know until the shooting stops what the true numbers are. But what we do know is that the Ukrainians have ran out of military-aged men, guys you know, in their late teens, 18 through 30, to go fight on the front lines. Now the average age of a guy heading off to go fight on the Ukrainian front is somewhere between 40 and 45 years old. Right. And that's just absolutely insane. It speaks to the level of casualties. And look, this just isn't sustainable. Russia can fight a war of attrition. This is in Russia's vital national security interest to have America, to have NATO, to have the European Union off of their, their Western flank for all the historic reasons that you mentioned. But look, when we had the opportunity to actually get both parties to the negotiating table, we squandered it by lying to the Ukrainians. But then by taking a massive sanctions package and throwing it at Russia, saying, Russia, there's no coming back for you. We're going to kick you out of the world economy. A year before that, we killed off U.S. energy independence. We lined Putin's pockets because that took up the value of all of his natural gas and oil that Europe was reliant on. So really, Putin at that point said, OK, well, I've got nothing else to lose. We're going to go all in with China. We're going to combine the world's largest labor force with one of the world's most resource-rich countries on the Eurasian landmass. And ever since then, we've seen China just has been making incredible gains on the world stage as far as uniting the BRICS nations, as far as getting OPEC to trade in the yuan as opposed to the dollar. So we overextended economically when we were already in a very weakened position. We led the Ukrainians off the slaughterhouse. And now, as you said, it is a disaster of no end in sight. As much as I want to get both sides to the negotiating table, and I still think that should be at the forefront of U.S. policy, I don't see right now why Putin would negotiate, whereas two years ago, he had every reason to negotiate. Now, he really doesn't have very many reasons to negotiate, especially of Joe Biden, who said very, very foolish things like this man can't remain in power, using all that same regime change rhetoric that we use for Gaddafi and for Saddam and basically every other country that we've screwed up. 
So I do believe we need to get President Trump back into the office, pretty much into the White House on, on every level. But the Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, I think is a key place where President Trump could come in and look Vladimir Putin in the eye and say, look, I am not for NATO expansion. I want to end this conflict and I want it to be, you know, a a, a way that both sides can walk away, maybe not happy, but they can walk away and look their people in the eye and say, hey, well, at least the shooting stopped. And now we have a, a manageable peace. Ukraine uh, has always been a buffer state between Europe and a buffer state between Russia. Just you can't change geography. You can't change history. That's where it is. The thing is, that's going to be the status quo once the shooting stops. The only thing I think that we can really influence is how long the carnage and the slaughter goes on for. The Democrats and the neocons, they they say that we're, you know, Putin supporters and that we have no compassion. They're the ones that are lying. They're the ones that are sending an entire generation off to the charnel house for no reason whatsoever. So yeah, I, I do think it's going to take President Trump getting back in there. And again, a lot of this goes back to us turning back on U.S. energy so that we can actually come at these problems from a position of strength. No, it's the truth. And then when you you want to talk about the 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 like original and very unique way that Donald Trump managed his foreign policy and what became part of the Trump doctrine was how he dealt with North Korea and, and Kim Jong Un over there. You know, we've seen over the course of the last week or so them really ramp up the saber rattling and posturing. Usually and typically historically that country has done it when it wants something or needs something. But over the course of the three years that Joe Biden's been in office now, Joe, you know, you, you look at North Korea, they've reformalized relations with China, they've made visits and you know the the leader of the country who never leaves traveled to Russia and now they're they're selling arms to Russia which they're using in the war against Ukraine so it seems like this might be something a little bit different right now and and you know for the weird way that North Korea always wants to kind of introduce themselves to the rest of the global community this seems like it's taking it a little step higher what do you see as you've seen them kind of ramp up the hostilities in the region North Korea, it's a vassal state of China. I don't think they want to be a vassal state of China. I think that's why once President Trump approached uh, Kim Jong-un from a position of, of strength, we did see uh, some progress being made there. He stopped launching you know, missiles at Japan. He stopped uh, threatening the West Coast of the United States. Uh, but unfortunately, when um, America is weak, weak on the world stage, China has become very, very powerful because of everything that we discussed with Ukraine, with the combination of those economies, with how weakened we are, uh, especially within the Middle East, the uh, Chinese and the Iranians are, are deeply linked. So China right now is playing a great game of using their proxies and their and their vassal states, vassal state being North North Korea, but a lot of their proxies being Iran, being that, you know, indirectly the militias in Iraq and Syria and the Houthis. Uh, China essentially is doing, I, I think, a, a very smart thing uh, from their perspective. They're trying to get us overcommitted throughout the world because we have security arrangements throughout the entire world. We're basically... We are the uh, we underwrite security in Europe via NATO. We underwrite security in the Middle East via how many bases we have over there. Our Navy secures the global supply lines. But unfortunately, who, who controls most of the global supply chains? It's China. So if you're China and you want to watch us continue to devalue our own currency, the dollar, then what you want is you want this economic status quo, but you also want us reacting to crises throughout the entire world and spreading our military thin. So I personally think that China just went ahead and they patted Kim on the back and they said, you know, the Biden administration, they're not going to come here and they're not going to bail you out. Look how weak they are. They can't even get all their people out of Afghanistan for crying out loud. Why don't you start cacking off some missiles again and give the U.S. one more headache to worry about? 
because we are still, you know, manning the the border between North and South Korea. It's another major security commitment that we have. We can't secure our own southern border, but yet we we have troops over there. So we have to be worried about every single time Kim Jong-un decides to start launching missiles uh, towards Japan or towards the West Coast. So again, when 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 we are weak at home, when we show weakness abroad, we are going to have crises on every single front. And that's just the direction that we're heading in right now because of Joe Biden's policies. No, it's the truth, you know, and I do want to get to the U.S. southern border, Joe, as part of the Republican House, which we fully expect you to be here next year. You know, it's one of the biggest issues in the history of our republic that we're going to need to tackle. You know, the, the radical progressive left wants to talk about amnesty and immigration reform, while, you know, a lot of the people in the Republican Party are starting to realize that the Trump era policies, it was pretty funny. When Remain in Mexico was at its height, there was close to 4 million people who were stuck in Mexico waiting for their asylum processes to kind of finish out. And when Joe Biden erased via executive order a lot of the Trump doctrine on day one of his presidency, you saw those 4 million people open up the door to now the over 12 million who have come in, probably not even including getaways over the course of the last three years. We have a lot of house reps on this show We talk intimately with a lot of them, too, both on and off the air. You know, these guys are are really struggling to because it is a vote-based system, and just some of the squish Republicans in the House right now are so scared to move on impeachment for Alejandro Mayorkas because it would be the first time in almost 150 years that we've seen a cabinet member removed. And then, you know, would we set up a constitutional crisis because he was asked on the news this weekend if he would even adhere to it if he was impeached, and he said he hadn't made that decision yet. Then at the same time, we know that heading into an election year, the only thing that Joe Biden can't do is revert back to any of those Trump era policies that's returning people to Mexico, that's actually deporting people, that's stopping the unmitigated flow from coming in. You're watching this in real time. Obviously, I'm sure you talk to a lot of people who are already up on Capitol Hill, in addition to a lot of the counterparts you have running all over in races across the country on what needs to be done to kind of get the immigration system under control and our border secure again. How are you looking at this situation developing? How do you think at least the ones who you know are America first, the House Republicans up there on Capitol Hill who are working to get this border secure doing a job right now? I don't think there's any issue right now that's as important as securing our southern border. Uh, So I would not move on with funding any part of the government if I were in Congress right now until the border is secure. And I I would draw a very hard line on that. Look, we've had 10 million illegals come into our country. That's costing us somewhere around half a trillion dollars per year just to incur those costs. Add that onto the inflation that the working class is already having to endure. It's completely and totally unsustainable. It's driving down wages. It's increasing a massive amount of crime. There's been 118,000 of our own citizens, American citizens that have been killed by fentanyl that came across that border. This is worse, in my opinion, than 9-11. 9-11 was absolutely tragic. We lost nearly 3,000 Americans on one day. We've lost 118,000 in about a year and a half due to fentanyl that originates with the Chinese Communist Party and the Mexican drug cartels are pumping it into this country. So if you swore an oath to support and defend and protect the people of the United States of America and you are doing anything but securing that border right now, you are derelict in your duties. The Democrats, every single one of them, including my opponent, voted to leave the border wide open. And this is part and parcel of the Democrats' agenda of flooding the country with more heads they can count during the next census so they can basically just create new legislative seats at the federal and at the state level. It is a cold-blooded power play. That's why the Democrats haven't stopped this. If the Democrats cared about the carnage, if they cared about the nation, then they would revert back to the Bill Clinton era policies 
of securing our border. It didn't used to be a Republican issue to say that you wanted our borders secured. So when I talk to people in my district, they say, why in the heck are we seeing so many fentanyl deaths? Because, hey, I'll, even though I'm all the way up here in Washington state, the entire West Coast is a sanctuary state, sanctuary cities along the way. So we are getting a ton of illegal immigrants, human trafficking, crime, and just a ton of fentanyl deaths in our community. So when I talk to people, they say, what are we doing? Why is our border not secured? You know, I talked to a lot of folks uh, in the Freedom Caucus, and I know they're drawing a really hard line. And I think they're doing a great job. I'm talking about, you know, the Matt Gates, the yep. Paul Gosars, the Anna Polina Lunas, Corey Mills, those types. I think they're doing a great job of incrementally moving the Republican Party in this direction. Because I think a couple months ago, if you would have said, hey, we shut down the government if you don't secure the border, I think it would have been just the usual suspects, the Freedom Caucus guys. And now I think we're going to see something to the tune of maybe close to 100 Republicans that are going to say that exact same thing. Uh, Speaker Johnson went down to the border. I think that's a good thing. I know some people are like, yeah, it's just a photo op. I think it's a very good thing that the Speaker of the House actually said, you know what, we're not going to be in Washington, D.C. this week. We're going to be down at the border. But I think that's going to be followed up with some really harsh action next week when they say, we're not moving anything forward. You can shut down the government. But if you guys don't secure the border and actually defend the American people, then we're done here. No, and you you know, I think people are starting to see the writing on the wall, Joe. You know, you talk about your race and your opponent. She's obviously an open border radical. We all know that she is. I was taking a couple pot shots at her this weekend, figuratively, of course, on X, formerly Twitter. But, you know, when you see the amount of people who are long established in the party who understand what's going to happen when Donald Trump wins the election next year, we're starting to see kind of an exodus from the Republican Party of all these rhinos who are attached to Main Street and K Street and the military industrial complex, the pharmaceutical industrial complex etc you know just today doug lamborn all three house seats in colorado are going to be up for grabs right now obviously with ken buck retiring and then lauren bobert moving over to his district and then you have like kate granger you've got um, so many other ones who have just decided to call it quits obviously kevin mccarthy was a big one at, at that ends the tenure of the young guns up on capitol hill as well and i think the freedom party is going in a good direction you know we, we have representative good on the show all the time he's going to be on at the end of the month again as well to talk about you know where he sees the party and the caucus going but the fact of the matter is is that it's going to take you know we've kind of figured it out to where there's around 70 seats in the republican house which donald trump won big time in 2016 and 2020 if you had that many america first congressmen and women in those seats the vote process would be a lot smoother. But unfortunately, on a good day, we have around 20. And more usually, we have less than 10 who are going to always vote with the America First agenda. And it just goes into part saying how important your race is, Joe. So we want to be able to direct everybody who's listening to the show today to contribute to your campaign monetarily. If you don't live in the state, if you're around your district, obviously get involved with whatever you've got going on. But why don't you tell us a little bit more information about that? Uh, well, JoeKentForCongress.com is a place where people can go to donate. And look, if you want to see more America first populists that are actually fighting for the country in Congress, it really starts with, with you because as you pointed out, there's a lot of big, deeply moneyed interests that come in and they're able to wield a lot of influence from the Beltway because they control the cash flow. What President Trump and what the Freedom Caucus, Matt Gates, MTG, what a lot of these guys have been able to do is they've been able to tap into small dollar donors yep. and they get enough small dollar donors in their district, enough small dollar donors throughout the country that they don't have to listen to the lobbyists. They don't have to listen to all these people that are from the pharmaceutical industries, from the defense contractors. They actually are accountable to the American people. So that's how we level the playing field when, you know, the, uh, 
the RNC calls you and asks you for money, just say, no, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to actually, I'm going to give it to candidates who will articulate what their vision is for the future or to people that are already in Congress that are voting, you know, in accordance with what the American people want, with what the base wants. I'd also say get involved in your local Republican Party. Sure. It can be painful. Uh, some function better than others. But in my district alone, we've had a lot of success with, uh, with getting good precinct committee officers elected, getting good Republican uh, chairs of the county committees elected that are responsive to the base of the party. Because look, the Republican Party is going through a lot of changes right now. I, I think they're, they're changes for the better. There's going to be some growing pains there. You're going to get some guys that, uh, that quit, that take their ball and go home and say, this isn't for me anymore. This isn't the same party that I joined. But if you look at the progress that we're making, I think on really big key issues like we discussed with immigration, the southern border, foreign policy is another one. I mean, about a year and a half ago, if you would have said that you didn't want to fund Ukraine and you wanted to move things towards a negotiated peace, then you got called all kinds of names. I think there was some like 20 Republicans that initially stood up against that and like two in the Senate, maybe. But now if you look at the way that's moving with the Republican caucus, even elected officials, we're moving the ball towards a much more pragmatic and realist foreign policy. And I'd say trade and manufacturing is right along behind that. The money and interest are fighting to keep our jobs overseas. But now when you talk to people and you talk to Republicans and say that, hey, we can't be dependent on China, we need to onshore, we need to get back to producing things here in America, you get a lot more people that are responsive. They know what you're talking about. And this is just, I think, the America first, the Trump agenda that's actually starting to really take a strong root and foundation in the base of the party. So the big thing is vote with your dollar, give to individual candidates uh, like myself, please. Uh, but also get involved in your in your local party and and don't let the good old boy club and don't let the D.C. donor class dictate the direction of our party. Because the Democrats, the other side, they are completely and totally captured by the corporate establishment. Correct. The Republican Party and the America First movement, we right now are the only folks that are actually fighting for the American people. Oh, it's the absolute truth, Joe. We love it when you come on the show. You provide such great commentary. And then, of course, we're always looking to support your race. We need you up on Capitol Hill next year. We're going to be live linking Joe Kent for Congress.com in the show description today. And we'll be looking forward to having you back soon. This is the retired Green Beret combat veteran Gold Star husband and the man who's looking to flip Washington 3 and make it great again, Mr. Joe Kent. Thanks for coming on the show and have a fantastic weekend. Thanks so much for having me, man. Happy New Year. Guys, we're coming back with another all-new edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. So sit back. Relax and let us change the way you consume your news.